This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp. Reporting that Supreme Court ruling or not, the governor says he's not signing off on redistricting maps that include what he considers the illegal 5th Congressional District. That is going to be the position that we stick to, so just take that to the bank. Changing net metering rules for rooftop solar in the Sunshine State is moving through this legislative session. The rooftop solar industry says it's too soon. In roughly early 2030s, we'll see a 10% penetration across the state. And so at that point, I think it would be appropriate to evaluate some sort of market reform or in, in a few years prior to that, so you're not kind of catching it by surprise. And on this Valentine's Day, if your name is, say, Love or Flower or uh, Valentine, Florida's chief financial officer says there may be some money in unclaimed funds waiting for you. But first, the Florida Supreme Court has declined to advise Governor Rob DeSantis on whether a map of Florida's 28 congressional seats must include a district similar to Florida's 5th a wide-ranging district in North Florida that stretches from Tallahassee to Jacksonville. It's currently held by U.S. Representative Al Lawson, a Tallahassee Democrat. The day after the Supreme Court decided not to decide, the governor, in no uncertain terms, said he's still willing to make the decision himself. Recently, we asked the Florida Supreme Court to provide us some guidance on how to interpret a provision of our state constitution related to congressional redistricting. Uh, the court did decline to, to take that up, but acknowledged that these are you know really live issues and um, are unsettled. And just to let people know, that is not changing my position at all. I mean, we will not be signing any congressional map uh, that has an unconstitutional gerrymander in it, and that is going to be the position that we stick to. So just take that to the bank. Both the House and Senate have left Congressional District 5 alone, the presumption being that it's a black performing district and has to be preserved to conform to the Fair Districts Amendment to the Florida Constitution. House Speaker Chris Sprawls doesn't see that thinking changing. In the absence of you know, uh, legal precedent, we are going to operate, we are going to follow the law, we are going to uh, come out with a map that complies. I think you can probably anticipate that that North Florida district uh, that was in the previous House map will be similar or the same. It should be pointed out that the governor said he wouldn't sign off on the maps that leave the district unchanged. He did not say he would veto them. If the governor doesn't veto them and chooses just not to sign them, they can still become law. The governor also has some advice for legislators about how to handle school districts that did not follow Florida law and kept their mask mandates in place during the pandemic. It's being proposed that money for those districts be withheld in the state budget. Governor DeSantis has another idea. Rather than take money that may penalize a teacher or student, because of the actions of some union-controlled school board member, uh, my view would be, uh, let's not do that, but what you could do is say, any parent whose kid was illegally forced mask this year in Florida in any of those districts, they should have the right to sue if their kids have any negative uh, effects of it. If they have speech problems, if they have emotional problems, physical problems, uh, they flouted the law, 
and they should be liable for the consequences of their actions. And so if the legislature goes down that route, uh, I think that that would be very beneficial. It would strike a good balance between, you know, penalizing the politicians who flouted the law, uh, but also not doing that in a way that's ham-handed and may deprive some innocent school kid of the ability to participate in a certain program. Bills to reduce what utilities pay homeowners for the excess energy they generate with their rooftop solar panels is moving through both the House and the Senate. Originally, this net metering, as it's called, was seen as a way to get rooftop solar off the ground. Florida put it into effect in 2008. The chair of the Senate Community Affairs Committee, Senator Jennifer Bradley, thinks it's been in effect long enough. Fast forward 15 years and the landscape is very different. We have a situation where folks that are not, do not have the ability to have rooftop solar are, are paying the share of the, of the solar folks. But that is not how the rooftop solar industry sees it. Sunrise talked with Justin Vanderbrook of the Florida Solar Energy Industries Association, who says net metering is doing the job it was intended to do, get rooftop solar going in the state. As the cost of solar equipment has dropped and the learning curve of construction has improved uh, between net metering, low taxes in Florida, and a maturing industry, we've created a pretty strong solar energy economy here in the state. So is it your idea that net metering is part of uh, the rooftop solar industry in perpetuity? Will this be, is, would you, is it your idea that this would last uh, forever? So some form of net metering is certainly an important piece of infrastructure for from a public policy standpoint. Um, as various states have seen the penetration of solar energy increase and become a, a large, larger and larger market share, they have evaluated various market reforms, right? So the Department of Energy a few years ago studied this and found that, you know, at a sub 10% market penetration, there's no need for a market reform because there's no impact on cost of electricity, right? And Florida's at 0.55% right now penetration. So in roughly early 2030s, we'll see a 10% penetration across the state. And so at that point, I think it would be appropriate to evaluate some sort of market reform or in, in a few years prior to that. So you're not kind of catching it by surprise. You know, you're setting in place um, some structure to reform the market uh, based on the penetration. So, you, you know, the the uh, the conversation here uh, at some point is net metering helping uh, people get involved in rooftop solar, uh, or is it propping up a rooftop solar industry? You think that at some point, you know, net metering has to be looked at, but it's it's too soon because it's still what. I mean, it's been almost 15 years since it was put into effect in the state of Florida. The rooftop solar industry is still in its infancy at this point or, or is still not fully born? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's only at the, the end of 2020, there was roughly 90,000 rooftop solar customers in the state of Florida compared to the 9 million plus electric utility customers right so we are still at an extremely small market penetration so some have said that perhaps at this point people investing in rooftop solar are doing so 
because of the economic value that net metering brings, um, instead of doing it because, uh, you know, it's solar, it's cleaner, it's all, all those other things. Is the net metering concept, uh, the economics of it all, really what are, is pushing people to go with rooftop solar? That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, for, for a lot of families, they invest in, in rooftop solar the same reason that they would perhaps invest in a new hot water heater or a new air conditioning unit. And it's to lower their monthly electricity cost. And as electricity costs increase, for instance, in 2021, there was a rather large uh, electricity price increase in a rate case filing with Florida Power and Light that increased rates by 20% over a four-year term. Situations like that for families say, hey, how do I take control of my electricity spend? And so for them, they'll invest in rooftop solar because they're able to forecast exactly how much they're going to spend on electricity over the 25 years that the equipment is warranted to produce electricity. Um, so it's not too dissimilar than utility scale solar right? throughout the country. You see utilities investing in, in solar because it's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against um, commodity price fluctuations like natural gas increases that we saw in 2021. And so families are doing the same as as many utilities and electricity producers and even corporate people around the world where they're starting to invest that in it from a, a financial perspective and then the environmental and social benefits tend to be secondary so you know another criticism here another reason that is uh, being put forth for uh, rolling back net metering at this point is that uh, you know people who can afford to put solar on their roofs are being subsidized by people who can't what's your response yeah, I mean, I, I, there's no subsidy right now. As I mentioned, the Department of Energy has studied this in great detail. And at a sub-10% market penetration, there is no potential risk for increased electricity prices for non-solar customers. It's just, it's simply unearned revenue, right? If you, that, the perspective you need to look at is that, hey, if I get a new air conditioning unit that's twice as efficient or a hot water system that's twice as efficient as my neighbor is my neighbor subsidizing me because i'm using less electricity from the grid they're simply not apples to apples comparison um what costs increase in electricity is when multiple billion dollars of infrastructure is is built out and then the cost of that infrastructure is recovered by increasing rates which is what we just saw in 2021 for Duke Energy and Florida Power and Light. That's what caused an increase in rates, not people generating electricity on their roof. Is the long-term game that everybody gets something on their roof or that, you know, the utility companies that we're used to dealing with, you know, go big on solar? I, I, I'm, I'm a little confused about how you perceive the future, or I'm asking you, how do you perceive the future of solar power? Yeah, I would say that there's no silver bullet. I believe everybody has a role to play in the transition to a clean energy economy. If we want to have a more resilient and clean electricity grid for future generations and the people who are currently in the state of Florida, right? So I think it requires a combination of large utility scale solar that we're seeing 
across the state right now. It, it includes school districts, hospitals, churches, local government buildings investing in solar on their rooftop. It includes homeowners. Right? It's, a, it's a multi-pronged approach and there's no silver bullet. But right now what we're facing here in the state of Florida is a public policy that will completely alienate churches, homeowners, local governments, small businesses from being able to have the choice to add solar on their roof and be fairly compensated for that electricity. And so that's the challenge that I think we're facing here is do we want to be a state that enables choice and is and enables the state and the Floridians to to participate in the solar energy economy? Or is it just going to be a singular utility scale driven utility owned model? Right. It's, it's just comes down to choice. And, and what does Florida want to how does Florida want to um participate in that transition because most of the companies that work in this space there's probably over 500 companies now operating in the solar industry in florida i would say roughly 80 percent of those are small businesses just like your local plumber or your local air conditioning contractor they're actually solar contractors that are licensed through the state to operate and so just comes down to we only want five contractors being our utility companies or do we want to democratize uh, this energy source Justin Vanderbrook of Florida Solar Energy Industries Association. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. Governor Ron DeSantis has ordered that flags be lowered to half-staff today to honor the victims of the February 14, 2018 mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. Flags will be lowered from sunrise to sunset at all state and local buildings. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed has also ordered that Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services buildings in Tallahassee and the Florida State Fair Midway in Tampa be lit with orange lights at sundown today to honor the victims of that mass shooting. House Minority Leader Evan Jenny, Representative Fentrice Driscoll, and Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith will hold a media availability this morning at 10. Senator Randolph Bracey will hold a news conference and talk about a bill that includes requiring high school instruction about the significance of Emancipation Day and Juneteenth. The House Health Care Appropriations Subcommittee will take up a bill that would revamp nursing home staffing requirements. The House Public Integrity and Elections Committee will consider a proposal that would require that certain officials, including legislators, be able to visit county jails at their pleasure. The Agriculture and Natural Resources Appropriations Subcommittee will take up a bill that would provide $20 million a year to help protect the headwaters of several waterways in central Florida. The bill would carry out a 2017 law known as the Heartland Headwaters Protection and Sustainability Act. The House Early Learning and Elementary Education Subcommittee will consider a proposal that would create education recovery scholarship accounts to provide aid to students who attend public schools that close because of emergencies. The Local Administration and Veterans Affairs Subcommittee will take up a bill that would provide property tax abatements for people whose homes are uninhabitable after catastrophic events. The House Professions and Public Health Subcommittee will consider a proposal that would prevent state boards from taking actions against health care providers based on things like social media posts. 
and lobbying firms face a deadline today for filing reports showing compensation from October the 1st through December 31st. Finally, roses are red, violets are blue. Search now because you could have unclaimed property waiting for you. As a Valentine's Day missive, that's not exactly hot stuff, we know. But Florida Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Patronus is trying to have some fun this Valentine's Day by matching Floridians who have kind of Valentine's Day-themed names to names in Florida's unclaimed property database. The names listed total more than $7 million in unclaimed property. Again, with apologies to Cupid, here's what Patronus said in a statement. Roses are red, violets are blue. Search now because you could have unclaimed property waiting for you. I love to give money back to Floridians. And in hopes to brighten your day, we have put together a list of Valentine-themed names and how much money is available per name. Those names are Love, Heart, Kiss, Rose, Flower, Sweet, Red, Pink, Candy, and of course, Valentine. If you have one of these words in your name, you can search to see if you have unclaimed property waiting for you at fltreasurehunt.gov. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Kopp. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics. Thank you.